Well, good morning. Uh, I think all of us have been, think, think with me about a time in your life, maybe you were moving, maybe you were moving furniture around, maybe you're just doing spring cleaning, but I think there's times where you found something gross or found something old and you're like, how long has that been there or where was that thing? This happened to me my junior year of college. We were moving in, my roommates and I were moving from one campus, that one on-campus apartment to another on-campus apartment. And we were moving in like as they were leaving. And so there was never a day or two where there was nobody in the apartment. So the campus cleaning people like never came and cleaned it at all. And there was like, I don't know what these people did. There was gnats in the apartment. It was gross. And so we called them a few times to come and they like cleaned a few things and they had to come again. But there was never like a, a cleaning of the entire apartment done, which is relevant because when we moved in, we all took uh, different cabinets and the kitchen of like where our food was, you know, so we knew where our food was, you knew where your food was, you wouldn't take each other's food. And so we move in, we start doing that. And there was a few times where, you know, I would get some food or whatever out of my cabinet and I would notice that there were, it was like sticky. It was a little sticky. And I always thought maybe my hands were dirty or whatever. didn't think anything of it. And so one day I go grab a loaf of bread. And so I grab the bread, you know, it's in the plastic thing. And I notice that like, I had to like pull it, like it gets stuck for a second. I'm like, so I pull it, bring it down, and there's like this brown gunk all over it. And I'm like, this is weird. And so I pull up a chair, get on the cabinet, look into the, ca- the cabinet thing, you get on the countertop, look into the cabinet. And this, guys, is what I found. Um, that's a banana, okay? And uh, I could tell based on when this thing showed up on my phone, that this was in October of that year, I remember. So it had been like two or three months of that thing. I don't know how long it had been there. It had just been sitting there, been rotting. It looks like chocolate. It's like melting into the... And so I did what you would do as a college student, and you know, you're hungry, is I ate it, and it was, I'm just kidding, I didn't eat it, but I was like, what? I couldn't, so, you know, I do what you're supposed to do, like, I cleaned it up, why? Because it's gross, like, you don't want to leave it there, and so I, I shared that story, because this is the question I want us to look at today, and that's this, that do you want to impact people for good? Do you want to impact people for good? Now, my assumption is the answer to that question for you is yes, like, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Whatever you are, I think we all want to impact people for good. And I think when we say, how do we do this? I think we might think of being loving to people and be forgiving and be gracious and generous and help people when they're in need. And those are all really important things. But there's also something else that we can do that is really helpful for other people that in our culture today, we're very reluctant to do. And I think when we, because of that, we really miss out on impacting people the way that we can. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If not, there's a black one somewhere around you. If you do not own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. That is our gift to you. So in January of this year, we started a series that we're in called Masterclass. We're going through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, written by this guy named Paul to the Corinthian church within 20 years of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, and the Corinthian church was in what is in, located in now in modern-day Greece. And so we've been in this for, what, four months now? Uh, and so maybe this is good news or, or to you or not, I'm not sure. But this is actually the last week of, first, of Masterclass for a while. Nobody's clapping. Good. You're not too tired of it yet. Uh, next week is Easter. Then we're taking a short break. And so this is the last week of Masterclass for a little bit. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you were here last week, we looked at the first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, this is a kind of a difficult text. Basically, what is going on is Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. And right here, he's addressing an issue where there is a man who is sleeping with his, step, uh, his stepmother. And so Paul is like, okay, this is not good, but it's also not good because the church, the Corinthian church, had done nothing about it. They hadn't addressed it. They hadn't acted like it was a problem. And it's not as if they found out that this was happening kind of like a secret sin that was exposed, that it, this guy was not hiding it. It, wasn't, it, was, it was well known. It had been going on for a long period of time, and nobody had done anything about it. And so Paul is saying, no, 
you have to address it. Like, this is not good for him, and it's also not good for you as a church. And so he continues kind of going through this by saying this in verse 9 of chapter 5. He says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, there is a letter. This is 1 Corinthians. We also have 2 Corinthians. Uh, We know that Paul actually wrote a letter to the Corinthians before this one. That is a lost letter. We don't have it. It's obviously not part of Scripture. But apparently, he had addressed this issue before. So this is not like the first time he's brought it up. He's addressed it. They've done nothing about it. Now this guy's sleeping with his stepmother. They're still doing nothing about it. And so he says, again, this is a problem. I wrote to you not to uh, associate with sexually immoral people. Then he says, I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. And so what he's talking about here in this chapter is he's talking about those who claim to be following Jesus. He's not saying that we shouldn't, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you shouldn't love and befriend and do life with people who don't know Jesus. You should. He's talking specifically about believers who are openly disregarding Christian teachings. Now, it's different. There's a difference between struggling with something, having a weakness, doing something that you know is not good for you and you maybe want to change. There's a difference between that because all of us are in that boat. None of us are perfect. And there's a difference between that and doing something that you know is wrong, not caring what anyone else says, and you're going to do it anyway. That's the problem that's happening here. This is a guy who claims to be following Christ and says, I don't care what you guys are going to say. I'm doing whatever I want. That's what Paul is talking about. So in verse 11, he continues. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. So again, he's talking about those who claim to be Christians. So that's, a, that's a one caveat that we have to understand here. Again, he's not saying don't be friend with people who aren't following Christ. He's saying if you're a follower of Jesus and you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you're doing these things, that should cause the believers around you to pause for a second. Now, when he says refuse to eat with such a person, uh, this would be a really big deal. So their culture is way different than ours today. It was not very transient. You kind of grew up where you live. You, you kind of knew the same people your entire life. So when Paul says not even to eat with such a person, what he essentially would be saying is cut off all social ties, which would be a really big deal. It may seem kind of harsh. What you're saying, so someone claims to be a Christian, they're caught up in sin that they're not repenting of, and you're saying, I should not even talk to that person ever again. That seems kind of harsh. Uh, two things. One, uh, Paul's not quite saying that. So here he's referring to the Lord's Supper. He's referring to taking communion, which we're going to do today. And he's referring to when you come together, you know, on, on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, and worship together. That as we saw last week, he tells us to remove that person from the congregation. Now, you may be saying, why would you do that? Why not, if we're supposed to love people, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're supposed to love people who aren't followers of Jesus, why not just treat this person, this man, as someone who's not a follower of Jesus? So yes, he claims to be following Jesus, but maybe he's not, so why don't you just treat him that way? Uh, The reason why is because of what Paul says, as we read last week, and I want to read it again real quick. If you go back to verse 6 through 8, this is why you have to deal with it. You can't just act like it's not a big deal. If you have someone who's claiming to be a follower of Jesus involved in some really egregious sin and doesn't want to do anything about it, he says this in verse 6, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and evil, which is what's going on here, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and 
truth. Again, what happens is, as we talked about last week, that especially in this time, leaven is a rising agent in dough. It's kind of like yeast, so it would you know, make it from some flat bread into some non-flat bread. I'm not a breaker, so whatever that looks like for you, right? And what would happen, though, is it does not even affect that just that loaf. So what would happen is they would put some leaven in, in a batch of dough, and they would take a piece of that dough and put it into another batch of dough, take a piece of that. So if you had bad leaven, it would infect a lot of uh, loaves of bread, not just the singular one. Same thing when you have uh, the people as part of the followers of Christ, you have a church. If somebody's involved in something, and even if you take the church part out of it, like even if you're involved in something, you will always impact those around you. Now, here's what I want us to understand. That scripture, I heard this recently, I thought it was really good, that scripture is meant to be a mirror on our lives. It's not, been, it's not meant to be a binoculars by which we look and judge other people. And I think so often, especially when we read texts like this, we think of people in our life who maybe are caught up in things that they shouldn't be doing, and we think, how dare them? They should be here today. They need to hear this. What I want us to do is to be looking at Scripture as a reflection to ourselves and saying, what areas? Now, maybe I'm not doing something as egregious as this man, but what areas in my life am I not being open and honest about? What areas do I have of weakness? What areas do I have of struggle that I'm not being honest about because I want to appear a certain way in front of other people? Because Paul's point is simply this, that arrogant believers, to arrogantly disagree with what Christ says, and yet to say you're a follower of Christ, is to be openly disregarding who Jesus is. And so the problem here is not the sin per se, like yes, sin is an issue, but the problem is not necessarily the sin, it's the unrepentance and the rejection of help. Right? That's the problem. It's not, because here's the deal, like none of us are perfect. So this, the, what we need to understand is not about us pretending and hiding that we've got, uh, hiding our issues, pretending that we're perfect. That's not the deal because we all are sinners. Like I'm a sinner. I have issues. Instead, unlike this man, we just need to be honest about what's going on in our life. And here's why. Here's why. Here's what I want us to know as we read this text this morning, that your life is shaped by your people. What you do is shaped by your people, so it's important for us to be honest with one another to help encourage each other as opposed to tearing us down. Your life is shaped by your people. It's said that your life is often you're like the five closest people around you, so you want to make sure that the people that you spend a lot of time with, that you're encouraging and loving one another, and you're being opening up, open about your weaknesses and so that you don't influence each other in a negative way, and so your life is shaped by your people. Let me give you another example from my junior year of college. Uh, two of my three roommates uh, were obsessed with road biking. Like they love to road bike and mountain bike too. And they love to work bike. And I'm like, sure, that's fine. Like I'm not one of those people that are like, people get off the road, road bike. I'm like, I don't care. I mean, I prefer them not to be on the road, but I'm like, sure, I'll drive around you, whatever. Not a big deal. Um, but so they were obsessed with road biking and I don't care about road biking, but because I was with them and I live with them, they eventually convinced me to get a road bike. And I listen, I don't even care. My roommate was like, no, you've got to get one. He found this one that was like in the 1980s. I guess they last a long time. I don't know. It was lime green. And he's like, I'll go get it for you. It was like an hour away. He's like, it's a great deal. I'll go get it for you. I'll even pay for half of it because apparently this bike had like a really nice saddle, which is a seat. And I guess the person that was selling it didn't know that it was a really nice saddle. And he's like, I'll get it for you. You just have to like switch saddles. I'm like, are we riding a horse or whatever? I don't know. And so he goes and gets it for me. I ride it. And so he, we, 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 I ride bikes with him a few times. And every time I'm like, why? I don't even care. Like, I don't know if you know this, but there's no shocks on road bikes. So it's like, mm, like every time it's terrible. Like it's awful, right? So I rode my road bike with him for a few months until I moved out. Christine and I got married. And that next year, that road bike never left my apartment. Never left my apartment. Why? Because I don't care about road biking. It's just I lived with them, and so we did it, right? Your life is shaped by people. Or give you another example. Uh, you know, people, when people get married, it's, it's really funny to me if you know people before they got married and then after they got married and see how they, like, take on the persona of their spouse in some way. Like, I had a friend in college who was probably the most outgoing person 
I, I mean, I don't even know anyone close to this guy. He's a great guy. He's super outgoing. And I knew his wife that got married after college uh, from high school. And so it's funny, like she's a nice and she's a sweet girl, that sort of thing. But now she's just as crazy as he is. And I'm not, not in a bad way, but I'm like, who is this person, right? It's because she spent so much time with him. Or give you a personal example. So Christina and I um, are celebrating eight years of marriage next month. That's right. And, uh, you know, so if you know Christina, you know she's very compassionate. Uh, she's very loving. She's very empathetic. You know, she's very nice. She's a lot of things that I'm not. And so... <laughs> You know, and so we've been we've been uh, married eight years, and so obviously when you when you get married, there's arguments and there's things that happen, and so I've learned, you know, when we get and when we're arguing, when we're disagreeing about something, the times that she's very clearly in the wrong, like she she'll apologize. Like I'm, she's she's wrong sometimes. Okay, I'll say it. Right, I'm wrong too. Right, so she'll apologize. Right, you think that's the bad part? That's the good part. So she'll apologize. She'll she you know she won't have a problem. And so I've learned on I've learned about this. I've picked up on this. And so I'm like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do when you're wrong. Okay. And so now we're eight years in, and there have been times, there have been times where we're in the midst of an argument. I realize I'm wrong, and I have the thought has crossed my mind. Maybe I should apologize. I haven't actually done it because that would be crazy. <laughs> but I've thought about it, right? And eight years ago, that's I would never even like consider that was a thing that you did, right? Because your life is shaped. By your people, right? You, the people closest to you impact your life. I'll give you just one more example because this is so true. Uh, when, you know, Christina and I have been in our fair share of weddings between the two of us. And this is, I've shared this before. This is 100% an, just an observation. This is not meant to judge or condemn anyone. This is just an observation I found. I have found that in the wedding party of a bride or a groom, that if almost, not necessarily all, but if the vast majority of people in that wedding party take their faith seriously, the bride or groom takes their faith very seriously, 10 out of 10 times, every time. I found that if half the wedding party is follower of Jesus, takes their faith seriously, half doesn't, that the bride or the groom is a Christian, loves Jesus, and I take it seriously is probably not the best way to put it, but I think you, you pick it up on what, on what I'm trying to say. I found that the bride or the groom does takes her, loves Jesus as a Christian, but maybe doesn't always take it as fiercely, seriously as they could. I know that's bad wording, but you, you, you know what I mean. And then I found that in the wedding parties where there is one person that's a follower of Jesus or none, that 10 out of 10 times, uh, the bride or the groom would probably even say, yeah, I'm not a Christian, I don't follow Jesus, right? And it's not a judgmental thing, it's just an observation. What, what, why, is that, why is that true? Because your life is shaped by your people. It matters how we interact with one another, so we have to deal with problems as they arise. Because not only is your life shaped by your people, but the opposite is also true, that you shape the life of your people. Your life is shaped by your people, and you shape the life of your people. And in this text here, that this man, again, they're in a culture that doesn't, that isn't very mobile. Uh, his people is this church. And so for them to do nothing for his sake and for the church's sake is not good. This is why serious sin, and by you know, extension, all sin matters. Again, it's not about being perfect, but if we don't deal with it, we will impact each other in negative ways. Think of it this way. Uh, think of it this way. If I was caught up and maybe I was having an affair, right? We know that's not good. I shouldn't be having an affair. People would be confused, right? If they come in here, if someone comes in their first time and maybe and maybe that's you, maybe it's your first time, maybe you're not, you don't even know about this Jesus thing. And maybe you're somewhat familiar with scripture and that, you know, if you're married, you're probably faithful to your spouse. And, and I was unfaithful to my spouse. Like you would be very confused. You'd be like, what's going on? I thought we were supposed to follow this thing. Like you'd be very confused. And so you, you, you'd want to deal with it. Like I should, I would have to step down. Like that would be the appropriate response because it, it, what would happen, here's what would happen. Here's what I know would happen. That if I was openly, we just use me as an example, openly having an affair, doing something egregious that we all knew was wrong. I guarantee you people would come and would be like, well, if he's doing it, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Like maybe it is an okay thing. And it would impact people negatively. So it's, again, it's not about being perfect, 
It's not about pretending that we're perfect, but it's about being honest with our weaknesses and our struggles. Because if not, as we talked about last week, they will end up becoming a very big thing and sometimes ruin our life. You shape the life of your people. And that's why this is so important. And so Paul continues, says this in verse 12. He says, For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? So again, Paul is not referencing those who are not Christians. Paul, that would be unfair for Paul to say we're supposed to judge people who are not following Jesus and hold people that do not follow Jesus to the standards that Jesus has for us. And here's, if I were to be honest, here's what often gets the church in trouble. What often gets the church in trouble is doing what Paul is telling us not to do, to judge people that do not follow Jesus. When we say things like, I can't believe cultures like this, I can't believe people do this, I can't believe this is accepted, and we say it in a kind of derogatory tone, what we're doing is judging people for not acting the way that we want them to act. When that becomes our priority, when uh, behavior modification is our priority, then we show that we don't really care what you believe, we just want you to act the way we want you to act. And that is, what, not, is, what Paul, that is not what Paul is saying here. That we are supposed to love those who do not know Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ, you are supposed to love those who do not know Jesus. And yes, you might want good for them. Yes, you may wish they, that some of your friends may be making different decisions than they are. And it's totally okay to bring that up and to talk about that. But we should not judge people who do not know Jesus based on Jesus' standards. And here is why. Because he says this in verse 13. For God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person among you. Again, so we need to encourage believe. If you're a follower of Christ, you need to encourage other believers to uh, love and to good works, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10. And, it, and here's the thing. Egregious, public, unrepentant sin has profound effects on the individual and the church, and so we have to do something with it. So here's the deal. God is judge and not us. God is judge and not us. And this is a common refrain in Deuteronomy. When, when, when Paul says this, and here's what's tough, Remove the evil person from among you. This was a phrase that was all throughout Deuteronomy. This was uh, the Israelites, when they were, were taken out of Egypt, they had a bunch of laws and regulations for them to follow. And if people continually broke those laws, continually broke those regulations, they would eventually have to leave the camp of the Israelites because they, it, would be, it would have profound effects, not just on them and the other people. And so what Paul is saying here is that if this happened, again, using me as an example, if this happened at New City, we would follow instru this instruction, right? It would be unloving for us to say, Dylan, you do what you want to do. You keep leading the church. Not a big problem. We're, we're, we don't care. It would be unloving. It would be bad for me, and it would be bad for the church. And here's what Paul's point was, and he said this last week. The hope is that with this man, if he was removed from that congregation, he would see his sin for the seriousness that it is, and that hopefully he would repent and come back to experiencing the life that Jesus wants for him. This is about loving people. This is not about rejection, because the reality is you don't live only for you. You and I impact other people. We all impact other people. So in putting it in Paul's terms, as we read here, he would say it this way, that we are all leavened in other people's lives. We are all leavened in other people's lives, and so the loving thing to do is to deal with it when there is egregious, unrepentant sin. And it's not good for the person involved, and it's not good for those around them if we act like it doesn't matter. Again, so, so knowing that, here's the thing. Knowing how to impact people for good and not for harm, how do we do that? Knowing uh, that we are, none of us are perfect, and all of us have issues, then what are we actually supposed to do? What are we actually supposed to do? Here's what I would say we're supposed to do from this text. Uh, that you and I need to be honest about our weaknesses. The best thing we could do if this is true, that it's not good for us to not deal with unrepented sin and egregious sin is to be honest about our weaknesses. Now, you may be saying, well, if it's bad to do bad things and it's bad for other people, 
Why should we be honest about it? I love what Paul says. If you want to read, uh, flip to the next chapter, it might be on the same page for you. I want to read something real quick uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, this is actually the next text that we're going to see in Masterclass, but it's going to be a, a, while, a little while away, so I think we'll all forget about it, so I'll be able to preach it again. Uh, here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He says this, um, I, uh, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. So if we're, if we're caught up in things like this, if we're knowingly rejecting Jesus' teaching and doing whatever we want to do, it kind of shows that we don't have a heart for Christ, we will not inherit God's kingdom. But then he says this in verse 11, and some of you used to be like this. I think Paul's being nice because I think it's not some of us, all of us used to be like this. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words, because of what Jesus has done, he has washed you, he has redeemed you, has made you right before the Lord, not because you got your act together, because he did it. So here's the deal, that God does not love people that overcome these things. God does not love people who overcome uh, sexual sin or greed or stealing or lying, or being mean. Like God does not love people that overcomes the, these things. He loves us in spite of these things, and he's calling us to himself in spite of these things. The reality is Jesus is the hero, not you. And instead of feeling bad about it, this actually encourages us to know that we don't have to pretend, and we don't have to have it all together. That is exactly why Jesus came. This is good news, that we are no longer marked by these things. This is not saying that you and I may never have struggles, that you and I may never have weaknesses, that you guys, that you and I may never uh, sin sexually, or be greedy, or be whatever the issue might be for you. It's not that if once you follow Jesus, you stop doing those things. It's that that your life is your identity is not found in those things, and that you, there's, a, there's a desire to grow closer to Jesus even in the midst of those things. And so, and so here's why we need to be honest about our weaknesses. Here's why this is so important. Because facing your weaknesses strengthens your people. Facing your weaknesses strengthens your people. Again, it's not about pretending we don't have issues. It's about just being honest about them. And here's why. Uh, there's a quote that kind of that says, says it this way, that people admire your strengths but they resonate with your weaknesses. And you've experienced this, and I've experienced this as well. Uh, you know, for me, being a pastor, people, and it's an honor and a privilege when people come to me and tell me some serious stuff that they're dealing with. And you want to know what's interesting? Every single time someone says to me, hey, here's what I'm going through, here's what I deal with, you want to you know what I think? I think two things. Number one, I think, man, how awesome is it that you want to take steps to change and to grow? Like, I, I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like, I, I, it's humbling for me. It's encouraging for me that you see that this is a problem and you want to do something about it. I, I'm nothing but humbled and encouraged. And secondly, here's what it also does to me. It makes me want to confess issues that I'm dealing with too. And I guarantee you, if you have friends or family members that have come to you with issues, it's not about me being great. I bet you've reacted the same way. Whenever, our, whenever people close to us come to us and share with us a weakness or a struggle or an issue in their life, you just want to be like, like, I'm the same way. Like, I've got issues. Like, when we're honest, that is when we actually see change. And so the ironic thing is, when we think we're doing good to other people by not being honest about our issues, and in fact, we're killing ourselves on the insides and we're hurting other people because then it'd be, we have this facade that we feel like we all have to keep up, that we feel like we all have to be perfect, and if we say anything, then we're, not, then we're not welcome here anymore. Again, the problem here is not that this guy was sinning. The problem is not even that he was sleeping with his stepmother. I, I don't know this for sure, but I guarantee you if this guy was like, hey, I'm doing this, this is not good, Paul would not say, 
leave. Paul would say, no, you need to stay right here. You need to grow and encourage and love and be loved by your church. Instead, he's like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care what you think. The reality is we need to be honest about our weaknesses because that's exactly what strengthens the people closest to us. So much so, and I've read this a few times, but I want to read it one more time uh, for uh, our purposes this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, so Paul writes 1 Corinthians. He also writes 2 Corinthians a few uh, years later. Here's what he says. It'll be on the screen. He says this, therefore, So that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. So we don't know. So Paul, again, this church planter travels the world. He's beaten. He's starved. This super Christian, or so we assume. He's saying, look, I've got issues too. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. It could be a sin issue. It could be a health issue. It could be an ailment. Something in his life that he did not like that was a weakness for him. He says this, verse 8. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Not perceived strength, not pretending you have it all together. It's actually perfected in weakness. And so, therefore, Paul says, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not for when I perceive to have it all together, not when I hold all my issues in and not share with anyone else. No, when I am weak, when people know about it, then I am strong. And here's the irony about this, that when we are trying to be strong, that's actually when we're weak. Like, you know this too. Like, have you ever had an issue in your life where you're like, oh, this isn't good, I got to deal with this, and you don't want to tell anybody you don't want to tell anybody because you don't want to appear weak. You don't want to uh, be ashamed. You want people to maybe have an image you want to keep up. So you don't tell anybody. You say, I- I'll fix this on my own. I'll use self-will, self-determination, and I'll stop. And then a week later, it happens again. And a week later, it happens again. And then a few days later, it happens again. And maybe now it's an everyday struggle for you that it's been going on for days, weeks, months, years, maybe a decade, all because you wouldn't tell anybody about it because you didn't want to get help. You thought you could do it on your own. We're all there. None of us are strong enough on our own. We need each other, and we need Jesus to make a difference in our life. When we are weak, that is actually when we're strongest. When we are weak, that is actually when we build each other up. And so... Instead of being ashamed of our weaknesses, instead of pretending we do not have them, the best thing we can do is be honest with them. And so here's why. Here's really the bottom line for this morning, what I want us to to walk away with, and that's this. That God does not want life change from you. He wants life change for you. If I could do, even last week too, this whole chapter together, that God does not want life change from you. He wants life change for you. I get it. This is a hard text. He's talking about sexual immorality, which is a thing that our culture today, we're kind of like, eh, I'm not quite sure if I agree with that. He's talking about, you know, dealing with someone's sin issue, or today we're like, well, everybody do whatever you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody else, do whatever you want. Paul's saying, do everything opposite that our culture tells us today. And I think what could happen is that we could look at this and be like, well, God just wants us to be, do the right things and be a good person so that he can be happy with us. And if not, we're going to get in a lot of trouble. What we need to understand is that yes, sin matters. Yes, sin is serious. But the reason it's serious is not just because God is perfect and righteous and just, and he wants to deal with sin. But even more than that, I would argue, and I could be wrong on this, but I would argue even more than that is that because God wants to give you life, he has parameters by which that, can, that you can experience that the most. And so when we fall short of God's desire and God's design in our life, it's not, because, it's not that he wants to hold us back. It's not that he wants us to, to restrict us. He wants us to experience life. And so when we talk about being honest about our weaknesses, being honest about our sins, it's not because God wants something from you. God does not need us. He wants it for you. 
And so that's why it's important for us to be honest about our weaknesses. In other words, that you and I need to deal with the rotten banana in our life, right? Whatever that might be for you, it's not good for you, and it's not good for anyone else involved if we do not deal with it. And here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that this is exactly why Jesus came. What Paul says in Romans that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were weak, while we did not know what we were doing, while we didn't even know we needed a Savior, God said, I'm going to come and make a way for you to experience the goodness of who I am. And it's not about you being perfect. It's not about you having it all together. It's about you relying on me. God does not want life change from you. He wants life change for you. And the good news of the gospel is that this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. So here's what I want us to do uh, this morning as I close. There's a blue uh, card in the seat back in front of you. Go ahead. Everybody just go ahead and grab it out. And then it might be under your seat if you're in the front row. Everyone just go ahead and grab it out. Uh, I want us to do this, right? I don't want us to be like, oh, that sounds good. I should be honest about my weaknesses. I want us to actually do that this morning, okay? So in a second, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a minute in just a second uh, to write down one weakness that you have in your life. Now, you may have great people and you may be honest about who you are and struggles. I think it's still a good idea to write it down. But maybe, maybe you're sitting here today and you've got something you've been dealing with for a long time and you haven't told anybody about it. Maybe today the first step for you is to simply be honest about who you are, be honest about your weaknesses so that you can experience the goodness of who Jesus is. And so what we're going to do in just a second, we're all going to write down one thing. Now, don't put your name on it. Uh, we don't want to know who you are because we're going to just hand it to the person next to you. Uh, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, don't put your name on it. But we're going to be honest about our weaknesses. And the first step for you, maybe just being honest, and maybe just being honest before God. And in a minute, we're going to drop these off. At the, there's two tables in the front of the back. As before we take communion, we're going to drop down, uh, drop off our weaknesses. We're going to give them, lay them before Jesus, and we're going to take up the strength of Jesus and take communion together. And for me, I can't think of a better way, a better time to do this than Holy Week is this week. It's coming up, celebrating why Jesus came. Listen, your weakness is why Jesus came. And the first step for you and I is just to be honest about it. Uh, let, me be, let, me, let me share with you what this looks like for me. So one of the weaknesses in my life, as I share with you guys, is I'm not a very emotional person. I don't share my emotions. In fact, I joke with Christina sometimes. I'm like, we don't need to talk about our emotions. Like, it's not that big a deal, right? But because I want to be a husband who loves my wife well and puts her needs before my own, because I am weak in this area and showing affection, I need to do things in my life to help me with this area. And so I have this uh, habit tracker thing uh, that I've been doing. And basically, I've got like these 10 habits that I have to do every day because I want to I want to be a person that does these things. And this habit tracker, it doesn't make it doing your habits easier, but if you're like me, you like to feel accomplished, you get to check off if you do it every day. And so because I want to be a husband that loves my wife well and puts her needs before my own, I have actually two of my habits have to do with Christina. And you may be like, I can't believe that you have to make yourself do this. Well, this is just a weakness of mine and I've got to be honest about it so I can address it. So one of mine is I have to say out loud every day to Christina, I love you. I have to say, now I love my wife. She's God's greatest gift to me, but I'm like, you don't need to say that. Who needs to say that, right? Because that's my weakness, right? So one of the things I have to do every day is I have to verbally say, now I still don't do it every day, but I do it a lot more than I did before this year started. And my second thing is I have to do something that puts her before myself. And it could be small, it could be big, but I have to do something every day that I wouldn't normally want to do. And so it could be there's laundry on the bed, so I'm going to fold it. Or I'm going to do a chore that she normally does. Or the kids are going crazy, so I'm going to take them out of the house or watch them so she can go out or get her coffee, whatever. That I have to do one thing every day to put her needs before my own. And because I'm a selfish human being, and because I am weak, I need to be honest about that so I can take steps to change it. So what I want us to do is simply, I'm not telling you what you have to do with this. I just want you to be honest about it. So we're going to take a second, write down one thing, and then we're going to uh, take communion together. So let's take 30 seconds, and I'll tell you what to do next. Why don't we all write one thing down that we're honest, that we're weak about, that we just need to be honest before God uh, before.